If everybody want to find your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 17, Luke 17. Now, I just want to ask a question here before we get started. Has any of you ever felt like you've been slighted or taken for granted? Just curious. Anybody? Yeah. Okay, good. Well, it looks like a lot of you. And now I'm not trying to stir up any problems here on Thanksgiving weekend, but, you know, just like thinking about who did most of the cooking and the cleaning and who did most of the eating and the watching of football games, okay? I mean, you kind of think about that, and there's, there's just something about a lack of gratitude that just kind of gets us. For instance, like, if you're a parent, you probably had this experience or heard about it. Uh, you do hundreds and thousands of things for your kids, and you try to make it all work out for them, and you bend over backwards, and you sacrifice all this time and money, and uh, never a word of thanks. In fact, if it doesn't go the way your kid wants it, they might tell you about it. Like, oh, you know, I don't really like this. And you're like, what are you talking about? And it, you know, I've, I've discovered it's a generational thing because I did the same thing. You know, I was like, that's just kind of his. It seems like being with a kid. And yet um, there's something about that that just kind of grates at us. You know what it's like. You've sacrificed. You've done something special for someone. Maybe you put a lot of thought and money into it. Maybe you made something for someone. And they just totally blew it off. It meant nothing to them. They didn't, in fact, say anything. Maybe just to try it like, thanks. And they just kind of moved on their way. There's a woman by the name of Teresa Bell Kindred. And she writes of experiences of her friend. Her friend had uh, taken this project upon herself uh, where she planted trees that had been donated in memory of someone who had passed away. And so she had 23 trees in all. They were pretty decent-sized trees. They planted, she planted them in a park. She pretty much did it all by herself. On one particular day, uh, Teresa was helping her friend. And as they were working, uh, a lady came and approached them. And she, they both recognized her. And, and that was, they were actually planting a tree in honor of a person that uh, had passed away in her family. And the lady approached them and said, You remember that tree that you planted for me the other day? And her friend nodded. And then she said, well, you planted it too close to the road. you got to move it. And she turned around, and she just walked off. And, and she was just kind of stunned by the lack of gratitude. In fact, of all 23 trees that were planted, only two people took the time or thought enough to say, hey, thank you for what you've done. Now, it shouldn't surprise us. I mean, all of us, there's something that causes internal angst. We don't like a lack of gratitude. There's something that bothers us, it offends us. And I have a question for you. If it bothers us to such a degree, a lack of gratitude, what is it, how does it affect God? I mean, does God, does God really care if we're thankful or not? I mean, if, think about it. God is the giver of all good things. If you think too hard about this, you realize, like, well, wow, everything I have, uh, including myself, is actually even given to me by God. What does God think about our lack of gratitude? We're familiar with what we do with our lack of gratitude, but what does God think? Well, let me tell you, there's a text in the Bible in Luke chapter 17 that if you do not know the message of what is being communicated, if you do not understand what Jesus is teaching in Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 11, let me tell you, your life is going to have a drastic deficiency. It'll be glaringly obvious. And so let's take a look at it. Luke chapter 17, verse 11. While he was on the way, speaking of Jesus, to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. And he entered a village, 
And as he did so, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him. And they raised their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So here we find in Luke 17, Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem. This actually is his final journey. He is going from Galilee in the north. He is cutting through Samaria. He is going to Jerusalem for this one purpose, and that is to be the perfect sacrifice for the sins of mankind. He is on his final journey, going to his final Passover, and he does something that is rather surprising. You may have missed it there, but he says he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. Now, Samaria, if you were a Jew, most Jews, they so despised the Samaritans that they actually would go across the Jordan River, go on the east side, go around Samaria. So you've got Galilee, Samaria, Judea. In the center of Judea, you have Jerusalem. Jesus doesn't circumvent Samaria. He goes through it. Now, why would the Jewish people always go around Samaria? Well, that is because they absolutely hated the people of Samaria. What happened in 722 B.C., the Assyrians came in, and what they did is when they conquered a people, they deported a whole bunch of them out, and then they imported a whole bunch of foreigners. And that's exactly what happened. They took all these Jewish people out. They brought all these foreign pagan Gentiles from other countries that they had conquered, brought them in there. And what happened is they started intermarrying, and they started mixing the Jewish religion with all these pagan beliefs. It's called syncretism. It's to take something in a pure form and start mixing it with whatever is around. And that is exactly what happened. The Jews who tried to remain pure said, this is absolute blasphemy. We want nothing to do with them. They would even wipe off dust off their sandals if they even so much as went into Samaria, a Samaritan territory. They hated these people and they despised them. And yet Jesus didn't have a problem with them. In fact, it's these kind of people he came to rescue and to save. So Jesus is making his way through Samaria. And did you see this in verse 12? He entered a village and ten leprous men stood at a distance and they met him. When I said leprosy, not a whole lot of you cringed. But leprosy in the time of Jesus, why it was uh, worse than like AIDS is even considered today. Leprosy was the most feared illness of the time. Leprosy was any sort of skin condition that developed that didn't go away. It could even include modern-day leprosy called Hansen's disease. But if someone developed these, like a blemish on your skin or some sort of pimple or some sort of a nodule that wasn't going away, what would happen is these Jewish priests, they would go and if they saw that, they would examine it, and that individual would be quarantined for one week. And so he'd be completely separated from his family, from the rest of the village. You couldn't go to synagogue. You were separated for one week. And after one week, then you would come and appear before the priest. That Jewish priest would then look at your skin condition. If it was getting better or it was gone, then you were actually then brought back into community. You go back and be with your family and life would go on as normal. However, if that skin condition remained, then that priest would quarantine that individual for one more week. And then there'd be an examination. That following week, the priest would come. He would look at this quarantined individual. He could probably already tell by the sorrow on that person's face. But he would look at that skin, that area where that skin blemish was. His nodules, the skin coming away, if it was white, if it's scaly. And if it was still there, he would do as he was directed. 
He would look into that sorrowful man's face. He would put his hand over his mouth and he would yell this word, unclean. And that word would mark that individual's life for forever. In a moment, this leprous individual would lose his family, friends, everything familiar, even his future. And from this time on, he'd have to start tearing his clothes. His head would have to remain uncovered. And everywhere he went, he had to yell out, unclean, unclean. He could never go near anyone. He must remove himself from society. Now, if this individual had what is now called modern-day leprosy, Hansen's disease, it's, what would happen is that their nerve endings on their hands and their ears and their face they suddenly deteriorate, and that's what actually happens in modern-day leprosy. It's not so much that their skin rots away, as that they lose their nerves, nerve endings, and they can't actually feel pain. So, for instance, they might grab a hot potato out of a fire or wash their face with scalding water or grab their tool in such a way so hard that their, their actual hand becomes contorted. And eventually, fingers start wearing away, and parts of your face, you start scratching, but you never feel it. And you literally start scratching yourself apart. And that's what happens with some of these people. And when we encounter these lepers, this is their life. It is literally a death by inches. Judaism had 61 defilements. Number two on their list was to touch someone with leprosy. Number one, to touch someone who was dead. And so for years, a leper would never have any touch. Never an incidental touch, never brushing by someone in the marketplace, never touch of a family member, no neighbors, no friends. They became untouchable. In fact, they, they were avoided by people they did not know, and they were condemned to a future they simply couldn't bear. And the leper was so hated by others, you need to understand this, that they came to actually hate themselves. This was their life. A rabbi uh, once wrote, he says, when I see a leper uh, walking down the street, I throw stones at him. Josephus, the Jewish historian, said simply this. It's as if these lepers, they were dead men, dead men walking. And it was believed that it would take a miracle on the nature of raising a dead man as it is to heal someone with leprosy. Leprosy was thought to be contagious, hereditary, and oftentimes a judgment because of sin. There was only a couple examples in the Bible. Uh, you had um, Miriam, Moses' sister. She had leprosy because of a sin. She's like, you know, yelling and kind of talking back to God and saying, you know, who are you and Moses being your one key guy? Come on. And then there was King Uzziah and his pride. And God struck him with leprosy. But those were really the only two scriptural examples. And yet, many of the Jews thought this was some sort of judgment for sin. And so, this leper, and in this case there are ten of them, in each of these men's lives, there was a series of lasts and a series of firsts. There was the last time that they actually had touched their wife. There was the last time they held their tools. Last time they were in the synagogue. Last time they were actually in their village followed by the first time they had to utter these words. Can you imagine if this was you? And you had to now say, unclean. 
me, me, me unclean. And you simply transition from acceptance to rejection. They would watch children. Moms would quickly grab them and pull them away. And you had to call out unclean every step. You had to always keep your distance from people. And he kept saying this pitiful, pitiful refrain, unclean, unclean. And there was absolutely nothing in their mind that made them commendable to God. That put them in the perfect posture to receive grace. Let me tell you, that is how it works. If you're going to receive God's grace, you've got to come to the place where you absolutely realize you do not deserve it. You don't merit it, and you don't earn it. If anybody understood that, it was these lepers. And so they would be standing at a distance. And if you see that there right in verse 12, you see that? They stood at a distance. That is how they lived. They were the marginalized of society. And they stood at a distance, and they called out to Jesus, and they met him. Notice what they're saying. Verse 13, they raised their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They have obviously heard that Jesus was no just common rabbi. That Jesus had miraculous powers. Let me tell you, you do a miracle like Jesus had done, and he had cured and healed other lepers. He had healed the sick. Blind people suddenly began to see. If you were lame, he had healed these people. And on several occasions, he actually raised someone from the dead. This one, this one that does only the works that God could do, he could heal us if he was willing. And so they're calling out, have mercy on us. And this would be the common plea, please help us, heal us, have mercy on us. And so they're they're approaching Jesus, verse 14, and he saw them and he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. Whoa. I'm out here. They're asking for mercy. They want to be healed. And Jesus says, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not healing you. He didn't, he didn't actually say that. But he just said, you know what I want you to do? I want you to go and show yourself to the priests. And they're thinking, what? <laughs> I mean, we've already done that. We've already faced those series of rejections from the priests. Look at us. I mean, we're all ripped up. We're a mess. We are completely unclean. You send us back to the priests? Do you want to grind us even further into the ground by just letting us hear the word unclean again? Jesus said, I just want you to obey me. This is what I want you to do. I want you to go show yourself to the priest. And they're like, that makes no sense at all. The only way we'd ever show ourselves to the priest is if somehow we were healed, and you're the only one who can do it, but it's obviously not true of us. You're sending us back down to the depths for one more serious rejection now by the religious establishment. Now, you see, the only people that could actually say that someone had actually been healed by, healed of leprosy, are the priests. They, it was actually written in the law that if someone was actually healed, they appear before the priest, and the priest would then proclaim them clean, and they could actually enter back into society. But you know how many times that ever happened? Zero. Okay? These priests had never seen that. They had never exercised that because no one got healed from leprosy. And so Jesus is asking them to do something they think is absolutely impossible to go and have once again faced this rejection. And yet, do you see that in verse 14? They went. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Literally. Can you imagine what this was like? They're like, 
We want Jesus to have mercy on us, but he sends us away back to the priest. They're going to further rejection. There are no mirrors. But then they take a glance, this, these ten that have been traveling together, and like, whoa, whoa, look at, look at you. And all of a sudden, hey, your hand, your arm, your face. Let, what, you too. And couldn't you imagine? As they're going, notice what the text says. They were cleansed, literally healed, brought to life. And they're looking at each other. You, you could imagine just them jumping, screaming, yelling, kicking up dust. It was like ten new births happening at once. They could not believe their eyes. They're actually being healed in their, as they're going to the priest. And you would think like, whoa, all of them are just going to hightail it back to Jesus, right? Because he has done a miracle. They obeyed. They went. They went from rejection to they've never been so well in their life. And yet, verse 15. Look at this. If there's ever a sobering verse, this is it. Now, one of them. When he saw that he had been healed, he turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his feet, giving thanks to him, and he was a Samaritan. This is pretty surprising. Obviously, the others were Jews. The, the one that's healed and actually comes back to Jesus, he's a Samaritan. He's, like, he's an outsider. He's a foreigner. He is like the worst of the worst. And yet, he was overwhelmed with gratitude, and he comes back to Jesus. And let me tell you, Jesus doesn't ask many questions, and when he does, he always does so to drive home a point. Look at verse 17. Then Jesus answered and said, Hey, were there not ten cleansed, but the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? I mean, this foreigner, the Samaritan, he's praising God. He's glorifying God. He's giving thanks. He's exercising faith. He's experiencing and expressing joy in knowing God. And Jesus asked this question, Hey, where are the others? Weren't there ten cleansed? Why is there only one right here? And likely what happened is they were so absorbed with their new condition, the great blessing that God had placed upon them, that they just couldn't spare the time or the thought to go back to its source. They were, whoa, this is awesome. Look, we're healed. We can go back. We can go back to our family. We can go back to our jobs, back to our city, back to the community. I mean, there's friends that I haven't talked to in years. I can go back. They probably just couldn't wait to go back. Or maybe, or maybe it, was, it was pride that kept them from coming back to Jesus. It's, I mean, it sounds crazy, but it was the idea like, we beat leprosy. We did it. And you're like, oh, come on, man. That sounds crazy. But you hear it all the time. I beat cancer. Really? You did it? And how many people think that? I overcame the disease. I did it. I did it. Maybe that's what was going on in their heads and their hearts. Whatever it is, they didn't come back. And Jesus asked, where are the others? Where are those other guys? They're nowhere to be found. And then look at verse 19. And he said to them, Jesus said to them, stand up because this man is on the ground because he's overwhelmed with gratitude at the feet of Jesus. He says, stand up. And go, your faith has made you well. Not only is he, he's not talking about just the physical healing that took place in this man's life. 
He is literally saying your faith in me has made you, could be translated complete. It has saved you. I have made you whole. You see, it's far more than just the physical blessing of being cured with leprosy. And many people think like, hey, that's the best thing that could happen to you. In reality, the greatest thing that could happen to you is that you come to know Jesus for who he really is. God, Savior, Lord, life. And he says, your faith, your faith in me, not only saved you from your physical condition, your faith in me has saved you from an eternal damnation. He says, your faith has made you well. Now, there was a problem with these other nine guys. It's a deadly problem. And that is that God was not the center of their gratitude. You see, let me just tell you this. We can sum it up this way. Those who are really thankful become worshipful. Those who are really thankful become worshipful. Now, before you judge these other nine too hard, you're like, come on, man. What total losers. I mean, God just did this amazing work. Jesus healed you of leprosy. You don't think it could have gone back with the other guy and said, thank you? Well, before you get too hard on those guys, how is your GQ doing? Your gratitude quotient. Now, let me just tell you, all of us are naturally ungrateful. It is a condition that we've inherited from Adam from the fall. Being thankful, grateful, that doesn't come naturally. Why do you think you have to teach it to your kids? Because they're programmed to not be thankful, just like you and me. We're not grateful. In fact, when Paul was writing about man's spiritual history in Romans chapter 1, he said this, Romans chapter 1, verse 21, for even though they knew God, people know God. I know about him, no truths about him, no Bible verse or two, whatever, got a Bible in my house, maybe more. Even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. You see, you can know about God, but that doesn't mean that you're honoring God or giving him thanks. And and it says this, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. You see, a lack of gratitude, a lack of honoring God actually leads to a darkening of your heart. And you go from not only being in great gratitude, you have no gratitude toward God, ungracious. It's like your heart gets darker and darker and harder and harder. And Romans 2 verse 4, he says, These blessings that God has given you, they were meant to have a particular result. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? All of the blessings in your life, they are intended to bring you to the feet of Jesus. Paul actually said that on his missionary journey in Acts chapter 14. He was saying, you know, it is God who gave you this witness. And he did good. He gave you rains from heaven. He gave you fruitful seasons. He gave you, satisfied your hearts with joy and gladness. All of this, it comes from God and it has this particular reason in your life. And that is to bring you to a place of repentance, to turn 180 degrees, to turn direction, and to trust in Christ. I mean, just imagine from God's perspective... What does it really look like? I mean, God does it all. He blesses individuals, families, businesses. He does all these wondrous works. 
on a very regular basis. We totally take it for granted. It's like hardly anybody, hardly anybody truly comes to trust the one who's actually accomplished it. Let me tell you, you can experience God's grace in your life and yet fall short of receiving salvation. This is the condition of most people. I have to tell you, I'm uh, personally, I'm wrestling with this. I'm, I am wrestling with, am I really thankful? Yeah, I'm grateful when things kind of work out and uh, this is what I was hoping for and it's all kind of, but is it always bringing me to the feet of Jesus? Or am I just kind of, yeah, just kind of plowing on to the next week? How about you? How are you doing? Has, have God's blessings had their intended effect on your life? Now, we may be, make some sort of blanket assumptions here. I mean, think of it. We have just gone through Thanksgiving weekend. Some of us have managed to put on that eight pounds, you know? I mean, we just kind of ate our way through the holiday, and so we kind of think, what? Why, obviously, we must be thankful, right? Because we ate a lot of food. And I know. I mean, I was in the gym yesterday, and I saw some of you out there, right? In fact, a guy in our church, I won't tell you where he's sitting, but he was working that treadmill as hard as I ever saw a guy work. And I was thinking, like, did he, is he working off a half of a pumpkin pie or something that he ate or something like that? Because we kind of go through this holiday of Thanksgiving, and yeah, we must be thankful because we're sure eating a lot of food. But let me ask you, are you really grateful? Has God's blessings had their intended effect upon your life? Has God done something amazing in your life? Has he restored a family relationship that was broken? Has he taken you to a place where like, you were like financially man, torn apart and you weren't sure how you were going to make it? You weren't sure if your business was going to make it or where the next paycheck was or how you were going to be able to feed your family. Did God provide? Did he come through? Did he in some way provide some sort of provision for you? Or maybe you've had a health issue, cancer, some sort of sickness heart disease. You've gone through some major surgery. God brought you through it. He gave you health. Maybe it wasn't the same as you had, or maybe it was full, full restoration. Has it brought you to the feet of Jesus? Or maybe at this present time, you're here and you're like, I did good to even show up here. I mean, come on, look at me. My body's falling apart. I got family issues. My finances are not what I want them to be, or even what they once were. Maybe you feel like, hey, my relationships are breaking down. My spouse left me, or maybe my spouse passed away. And frankly, when I come to Thanksgiving today, you know what? I don't really feel all that grateful. I think I'll take a pass, and don't I have a right to take a pass on being thankful? Let me just tell you the most intense moments of thankfulness are not found in times of plenty, but are when difficulties abound. I want you to think of the first Thanksgiving. You know, the pilgrims back in 1621. When they celebrated that first Thanksgiving, they did so after already losing over half of their people, coming through starvation, not having a real high degree of certainty of how they might even make it. And yet they gathered together with the the Native American Indians that were majorly God's provision in helping them survive. And they celebrated Thanksgiving, not just for the gifts, but far more importantly, 
thanksgiving for the giver. Or let me give you another time in our nation's history of great tragedy. Abraham Lincoln, in 1863, as he served as president and watched our nation literally come apart at the seams. As we were at each other's throats and the butcher's bill was high and it looked like we would be inevitably destroying ourselves as we literally mowed down thousands and thousands of people. Brothers and sisters, people united in one country. And in 1863, Abraham Lincoln then made a formal declaration of thanksgiving to start taking place on that final Thursday in November. And why did he do that? In the midst of the carnage and the chaos and the uncertainty, it is to get the eyes of a nation off of themselves and onto God. And so giving thanks, friends, is an act of faith. It's a manifestation of trust and devotion. And even when we cannot understand God's ways, we can trust his good and providential hand. And let me tell you, you probably have far more to be grateful for than you realize. Food, car, do you have shelter, provisions, family, a church, education, people in your lives, people that care. And let me tell you the greatest gift of all, the greatest gift is God himself. When we say, I don't, I don't have anything to be thankful for, you're eliminating the fact that God himself exists, he is present, and he is at work in your life. And the gospel is this, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You have the gift of Christ himself, the perfect sacrifice to pay your, the penalty for your sins so that you will always live eternally with him as you trust in him. So let me just ask you, have God's blessings had their intended effect in your life? You know, most people, they just kind of keep moving. They just kind of disregard all this, like, well, yeah, whatever. And you just move into Monday, and you forget all about God. But God's temporal blessings are designed to have eternal implications to bring you to him. Most people... uh, If you don't learn how to be thankful, let me tell you what's going to happen to you. In fact, it may have already started. You're going to become bitter, discouraged, and you're going to find some sort of vain attempt to be self-satisfied. On the other hand, gratitude gives us perspective in life. When you and I thank God, actually it gives us God's perspective on our matters and the situations we face. It gives us joy in the midst of our journey, and it is an indication that we truly are trusting Christ. Gratitude begins when we begin worshiping and trusting Christ. There's a lady in our church. Recently, she told me that um, every time that God has provided a home for them, and this particular family, they've had some very difficult situations. She says, I get down on my knees and I thank God. That is what the blessings of life are intended to do in us. So the question, who really cares if we are genuinely thankful Well, let me tell you someone who really cares. Jesus does. Jesus does. Weren't there ten lepers that were healed? Where are the other nine? And so there is a reason for every blessing in your life. And if it doesn't bring you to the place where you're trusting in Jesus Christ as Lord for salvation, for life, 
you are missing the full intent of the blessings he's bestowed upon you, and that is to know God by trusting in Christ. Those who are really thankful, you know what happens to them? They become worshipful. And think of it. Think if we come and when we walk out of these doors, that we begin daily to express gratitude to Christ for the blessings in our life. How much fuller life will be, how much deeper, because that is what we're intended for. To know Christ, to know him, to walk in him, to love him, and to thank him. That is our purpose. And so friends, we know this, those who are really thankful, they become worshipful. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for an amazing passage that teaches one of life's most profound lessons, and that is this. The blessings and the miracles we've experienced in our life, they are meant to take us to the feet of Jesus. And so, Father, if uh, there is someone here today, perhaps there's many of us, who have never really come to the place where we're trusting Christ and thanking him for the blessings, that that would happen right now. And that we would express even now, Lord, in our prayer, that you know all about us and our sinful attitudes, our pride, our lack of humility. Lord, right now we turn from ourselves and we trust in Christ, the one whom all the blessings of life are intended to bring us to. And I thank you, you give us forgiveness of sins. You give us newness of life. The past is in the past. Our present and future are secure in you. And we thank you, Lord, that you've opened our eyes that we might see not only the gifts you've given us, but the giver. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.